Malik Architecture is a multidisciplinary design practice based in Mumbai with over 47 years of experience. The studio is driven by creativity, knowledge sharing, and collaborations to foster a contemporary approach through research, experience, and dialogue in order to uphold their deep commitment to ecological sensitivity and local context. And so their works have drawn inspirations from nature and from Indian culture in their principles and processes. Today, we will be conversing with Arjun Malik, the principal architect of Malik Architecture, on crafting spaces for connection and well-being. So excited for this conversation, Arjun. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know we've, uh, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad we finally get to do it. Here is ours. So you first tell us about your background and about the firm as well. So my father actually set up the practice, as you mentioned, about 47 years ago. He's still... He's 72 now and still our most active uh, practitioner, Touchwood, uh, showing no uh, signs of slowing down. And uh, I would say in many ways, he's both the kind of spiritual and intellectual uh, fulcrum of the practice. He kind of leads the way in terms of setting down the, uh, the, the, the both the, I think, uh, design and the ethical principles based on which we tend to practice. I... Um, I've been with the practice now for about 18 years, um, starting around 2002, and then a you know a gap for my masters came back in about 2005, and uh, we've been at it ever since. And um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a background. The structure of the practice has changed substantially over the last couple of decades, um, and I think we are looking at slightly more equitable, democratic approach to how we can you know evaluate situations and come up with solutions and uh, looking at a kind of transformation of the principles of the practice more into catalyst than you know authors so to speak that's amazing what a history um i'm curious what inspired the design approach that's a that's a tricky question. It's a it's a very broad question. Look, I think uh, inspiration comes from many places. It comes from within, and it also comes from without. Um, I think what is fundamental in our approach, which is common to both you know Dad and uh, and and uh, to me, and what we try and convey to everyone that we work with, both within the practice and in terms of all the collaborators that we work with is a, is a love and a sensitivity uh, towards nature. You know, if you can look at a single anchoring principle, it would be a respect and a love for nature and everything else kind of oscillates around that. And one can look at nature purely from uh, the aspect of the environment, right? But it also, I think, begins then from understanding uh, the situations the world around us uh, we practice primarily within india and india is many countries within one right so each part of india is very very particular in terms of its traditions both from a social cultural environmental building traditions etc etc so i think each situation each place uh, offers so much um so much kind of accumulated intelligence, uh, so much data and so many triggers to be able to begin the conversation from that it's very it's very rare that we need to physically impose or prescribe 
uh, solutions to a place. I think in in many situations, if you're if you have that kind of inner silence and that humility towards an existing context, the answers often emerge through a conversation with the situation as opposed to it being so it becomes more of a dialogue as opposed to a monologue. Okay. So what does it mean to be an architect with um, ecological sensitivity and how does this influence your design decisions, material choices, and maybe just overall approach to architecture? I think it's, I think it has a lot to do with being grounded, right? Um, it's very easy once you start, once you, you know, when you leave your education behind, your formal education, so to speak, and then you start practicing. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the in the flow of information and of capital and of commercial concerns and clients, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very easy to lose your way if you're not careful. So I think uh, staying grounded and always going back to first principles, always reminding yourself of what is fundamental, what is important, right? Um, that That helps us nurture a sense of uh, I think responsibility and accountability towards each and every situation, whether it be the environment, whether it be the client, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, commerce, etc. Everything, you have to have a certain level of responsibility towards it. So I think once you're in touch with your first principles and you don't get caught up in so many of the other distractions, which are, which are a part of real life, I think then you can be true to the the first and most fundamental ideas that that drive the practice. But there are many projects uh, that you've done. Um, how have you created spaces beyond the physical functionality? You know that maybe foster a deeper connection with occupants and their well-being. I think so. My my father's background, in a sense, and pardon me, I'm going to digress a little bit here. He uh, he grew up in Simla, in the foothills of the Himalayas. So he's really someone who's grown up with such a love for nature, and he's a mountain person. I grew up in Bombay, fortunately in a part of Bombay which doesn't really feel like Bombay. It's uh, it's in the extreme south, and uh, we're very fortunate to have an apartment uh, in what is predominantly a uh, you know a a part of Bombay which is only for the armed forces. So we haven't seen that tall development. It's it's a lot of low-rise architecture, a lot of trees, a lot of open space. And our apartment opens out onto the sea and towards the east where we can see the bay and we can see the movement of ships and we can see uh, the ports and the land beyond, right? So I think both of us, once we have that particular relationship with nature, all right, um, we see that there is an uh, an intrinsic sense of transformation if you can develop that relationship um, with light, with the sea, with the mountains, with the trees, etc. Right, and I think it is that sense of transformation which we personally feel so acutely that we would, in a way, like to also transmit into our projects and to our clients. So. One, there are there are many, many layers to a project. One of them, as you said, is the physical, functional aspect of, of creating spaces, uh, uh, you know, and organisms, right? Uh, and the other one, which is the story beneath the story, is what are you fundamentally trying to 
bring to the people that you're engaging with in the situation that you're engaging with? What is the kind of, it's not just about beautiful spaces because you can see something and you can appreciate it and say, oh, it's very nice and you can walk away, right? But are you genuinely touched, right? Is it that when you engage with a situation or a space, you leave a different person, no matter how small that change may be? It's that sense of transformation that guides our attitude towards all projects, towards all clients in all situations. And again, when you are reinforced with that kind of attitude, a certain level of poetry and sensitivity will always find its way into a project. That's amazing and beautifully said. So will you share with us about the Stonehouse project? Um, what did you try to accomplish to design and the outcomes of it? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. So, um, you know, the client actually is a very close friend of my father's. And uh, uh, I think he, we met him in Bombay. He used to live in the same you know, building as us for a while. And he's, he's originally from, from Rajasthan. He's based in Jaipur. And uh, when they moved back to Jaipur, he had a small plot of land in a wonderful, in a small little community with a garden. It wasn't particularly large. And he did want to build a home for himself, for his wife, and for his two sons. And uh, like with every situation, um, each place we go to, you get into certain details. So when we began to, and of course, we're very familiar with the North because you can't live in India and not be familiar with, you know, Rajasthan and Delhi and and the North, so to speak. And it's uh, it's kind of deep repositories of influences, emotions and strategies, right? But fundamentally, what's been happening is that all of the, uh, all of the beauty, the strategy, the density and the richness that used to be part of our building traditions hundreds and hundreds of years back has kind of, in a way, been lost and has given way to a slightly more image and commerce-driven architecture. So wherein you're familiar with the Havelis and the palaces and the forts and all the architecture of that region, now I think people have forgotten the the fundamentals of those, both in terms of material strategies, how they've deployed uh, material from the region, how they've deployed human resource from the region, how they've understood the sun, the wind, the light, uh, the extreme climate. It's a desert. So you can, you know, you actually vary between five degrees to 52 degrees. That's the temperature difference through the year between summer, winter, you know, and our ancestors developed wonderful strategies to deal with these situations without having electricity and air conditioners and pumps, etc. So for us to be able to go back to that level of intelligence, what we would really refer to as architecture before architects, right? Uh, that reinforces us. It gives us a wonderful set of tools to understand, to analyze, and obviously our responsibility is not simply to mimic what has been done, is to also be able to evolve. You know, this idea of tradition, which is so fundamental in a place like India with a very, very uh, rich history. We look at this, this sense of tradition as something that is static, but it's not. Tradition is nothing but a series of discoveries and evolutions, and there is a next logical step in the process. That's how the stone house came to be, because the, the, the way that people are building today in Rajasthan, is like how they're building anywhere else in the world. They're putting up concrete frame structures. They are filling up those structures. They are decorating those structures, right? And we did a very simple exercise. We compared the contemporary conventional way of building 
with a potential evolved way of building uh, after studying stone technologies and stone constructions from the past. And we actually found it's almost like lightning in a bottle. It is such a specific situation that in this particular site, in this particular region, we could build a house in solid stone for a cost that is equal to building a concrete frame structure, filling it up with brick, decorating it with stone, and then doing plaster and paint, etc. which is just, it's remarkable. It's not possible anywhere else in the world. Even in most parts of India, it may not be possible. But it was that situation, having the quarry close by, having the contractor's family, having the part ownership of the quarry, having the site next to us vacant, belonging to a friend and he let us set up a fabrication yard right next to the site. So we were able to do so many things with the quarry, with the way that stone is harvested, the way that stone is worked by hand and how it comes directly from site, uh, you know, from the quarry to the site without going to a factory. A lot of these, which are very specific situations, allowed us to, uh, you know, do some research and, and look at this very experimental structure of how do we build the way our ancestors built, but with the technology of today, you know, with the reductions in stone and the interlocking structural technologies. It's a very interesting experiment uh, that um, it's very fortunate that we had a client who was willing to work with us, but he only worked with us because it was economically viable, because he had a very strict budget, right? Uh, and that's, I think, this, the background of the stone house without really getting the technicals of how it's been designed and built. That's, that's cool. And it's like an example of hitting all three pillars of sustainability, you know, economical, ecological, and also social. Yeah. Absolutely. And we don't even know the environmental impact of this project. We're, uh, we're, we're talking to the Indian Institute of Technology to, to help us do a kind of, you know, retroactive analysis of what exactly the life cycle and the carbon footprint of this project is, because uh, we just don't know at this point. It's uh, it would be interesting to kind of do that study as well. In the future context, I think I would like to ask you what would be the greatest challenge in designing an urban environment that fosters well-being while also simultaneously supporting ecological balance. Ooh, that's a uh... Look, I think this is where we, in a way, uh, step outside the the pure domain of the architect and we're looking at a much wider area uh, of engagement because, you know, to, to bring any sort of qualitative change to our urban environments requires a deep engagement with the power structures, with, uh, with capital, with multiple collaborators, with the bureaucracy. You know, so if this was sitting purely in the hands of architects and we had a free hand to imagine our cities and hope that we can physically translate them, the subject might be a little bit simpler. But we are talking about very, very complex networks. So the architect's role in a way in terms of visualizing, speculating is perhaps the easiest of the lot. I think it's the ability to set up think tanks, uh, you know, special purpose vehicles and to be able to set up uh, frameworks where multiple stakeholders can equitably engage, right? That's the trickiest part. And that's that's the only way we can transform urban environments. It doesn't happen through a single point of contact. Never. Oh, hey, thank you so much for sharing today. I think we learned a lot from this conversation. And actually, for me personally, it reminds us to be more aware of the surroundings because like you said, a lot of the solutions that 
that will be working is already there, right? You mentioned like architecture before architects even exist. You know, it's like it's been proven to work for a long time, and we just need to be more sensitive towards towards that and do more research, do more learning, and always be curious about the environment. Cool. I think that's a the fair summation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing today. Wonderful. That was that was quick and effective. That's it. We're good.